Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Is This Real Life, a podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of pop culture and reality TV to our own lives. This is your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, guys. I'm back. Back from the dead. I was in New York City last weekend celebrating some friends' birthdays, and we went out pretty hard on Saturday night, and I ended up at a karaoke joint in Koreatown doing multiple shots of fireball, dancing on a pole, and doing my best version of Beyonce and Dr. Dre, not at the same time. Later that night, we thought it would be good to continue going out and ended up at Rose Bar at the Gramercy Hotel because that's where Stephen McGee from Summer House said he likes to hang out. And then despite both me and my friend Steph being lactose intolerant, we ended up at a pizza joint later that night, brought it back to the hotel, don't remember much, and then I got sick. And I just assumed I was hungover. And I was sick the entire day. And leading into the evening, finally, I decided to just take matters into my own hands and do something I had never, ever thought I would do. I called the IV doc, which is a service in New York City where a nurse will come to your hotel or place of residence and give you IV fluids because you are hungover and dehydrated. Yes, you heard that right. I paid $199 out of pocket because I could not miss my brother's Super Bowl party. (laughs) So um, I did manage to feel better after that, but the next morning wasn't feeling well again, and the rest of the week was pretty much in bed. So apologize for not having an episode last week. But... I did not tell you about the best part of New York City, which was on Monday night, February 5th, me and my friend Steph went to Watch What Happens Live at the Bravo Clubhouse and met the one and only Tom Schwartz from Vanderpump Rules. It was so great. 
Shout out to Craig and Blythe from the Pump Rules podcast who messaged Tom before we got there and told him to look out for us. He was so nice, so friendly, so much taller than we thought he was in real life. And we talked a bit about both being from Minnesota and laughed and just what a wonderful experience it was. So I took a little bit of audio later that night with Steph, which I'm going to play for you guys. This is when we got home and we're watching Summer House after. So Steph and I just got back from watching Watch What Happens Live. Hello. It was so fun. It was awesome, I have to say. So we just rang in Steph's birthday at midnight. Yes. And we get to the studio and you're immediately (laughs) presented with drinks and there's music on and it's just a ton of fun. And within about two minutes, Tom Schwartz walked in. Yeah, and he came to say hi and was so friendly and so nice and greeted every single person. Yes. Katie was busy getting her makeup done, so she didn't get (laughs) to come out in time to say hi. He was wonderful. He was lovely. And Stephen McGee from Summer House walked in as well, but then he went backstage and we didn't see him again. It was a quick glimpse. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Tom and Katie were the guests. And they were absolutely lovely. And Katie was gorgeous. Yeah, she was. Kevin she Lee great. is just a total jerk for whatever he said to her. <laughs> it's stupid and absurd, and you shouldn't say that to anyone, but especially not Katie. It's so awful. She's beautiful. And yeah, it was just a ton of fun. The part that you guys probably didn't see is the um, after show where one of Tom's triplet brothers called Mm. in. It was so funny. Uh, It was very sweet. Tom teared up. Yeah, that was not fake. every single time he talks about his brothers, he cries. Yeah. And it was really sweet. And Katie seemed to, you know, they seemed very happy. She comforted him. Yeah. In a very sweet marital way. So Vanderpump and everyone there was such a Vanderpump fan. Yeah. Steph was wearing a pretty awesome shirt. (laughs) Friends don't let friends Vanderpump alone. (laughs) Courtesy of Mandy Slutsker. Yeah, I figured it would be a a good gift. And then Andy Cohen liked it. He did twice. He pointed at it twice, which was my claim to fame. So amazing. And we got seated in the second row and just got to see everything. It was the best time we could ever ask for so thank you shout out to Rachel uh, who got us the tickets who's friends with my brother (laughs) (laughs) and took pity on us no she was really sweet and um, everything about watch what happens live is fantastic if you get a chance when you're in New York please please check it out and we'll check in later so as you can tell we had a fantastic time I'm going to try and very briefly describe what the experience was like. So we're in Lower Manhattan, and you go to the Bravo Clubhouse, which is in this big office building, and you walk in and you take this elevator up, and when the the elevator opens, you're like in the clubhouse. You're on this floor, 
and you're greeted with cheers and there are staff that are behind the bar and they have drink specials and a place to hang your coat and a replica of the backdrop of the Bravo Clubhouse that you get to take your picture in front of and there's a big fluorescent mazel sign and everyone was so friendly and had so much fun and was just up for a good time. And we realized we were among our people. Everyone was a huge, huge Bravo fan and especially Vanderpump Rules. We talked about multiple different characters over different seasons. Everyone loved Steph's shirt and it was just so much fun. So now I want to get into recapping the last two weeks of Vanderpump Rules. So last week, we get to see the triplets, Tom's brothers, come to LA to visit, and they are just so sweet, the salt of the earth. And watching Tom Sandoval get to dress them for a night out on the town is absolutely fantastic. And the most precious moment was when one of the brothers went up to DJ James Kennedy and asked if he could request a song. Anyone have any guesses as to what he requested? I don't know the answer, but I would love to hear what you think. Not too much happened this episode, but a couple things I wanted to touch on. So the first is Billy Lee, who's this amazing woman, a transgender woman, an advocate, just fantastic, is new at Sir, and she goes on Stassi's podcast, which straight up with Stassi, to talk about her identity and the struggles that she had um, transitioning and just her story, which is incredibly moving. If you haven't heard it, please, please take the time and listen to the Straight Up with Stassi podcast with Billy Lee. But before Billy Lee goes to record this, Sheena, Lala, and Ariana warn her that Stassi is very ignorant on a lot of social issues and takes pride in being ignorant, kind of scaring Billy Lee off. And they're talking about some of the previous episodes that she'd done where she was racially insensitive, talking about the Oscars and as we all know now, she made some horrific comments about the Me Too movement, which she definitely walked back from and apologized for. But that being said, you can understand why Billy Lee might have been a little nervous going into it. But the podcast went wonderfully. And the great thing about Stasi is that she's very open to learning. And during this um, episode, Lisa stands up for her and says, you know, Stassi's never been a bigot. She doesn't have prejudice against any group of people. You know, she may speak without thinking, but there's definitely no animosity or ill intentions there. And I would have to agree with her. Um, then we see that Lisa is going to take over as one of the editors of Beverly Hills Magazine, which I think is a $20 magazine which is just crazy in this day and age when magazines are going out of print and completely into online formats. I just can't imagine anyone spending $20 on a magazine, but whatever. So they're having this launch party or party to celebrate Lisa taking over the magazine, and she hires Stasi to coordinate the party. And of course, 
many of the girls and some of the guys don't like taking orders from Stasi, so Lisa has to intervene. So when the party actually starts, Jax is running late, and he actually doesn't show up until an hour into the party, and Lisa is livid. Now what I'm confused about is that Brittany appears to get there before him, but according to Jax on Twitter, he says that they arrived in the same vehicle. So it kind of looks like production made it seem as if they arrived at different times and then Lisa chose to get mad at Jax. I'm not entirely sure what happened, but it was a bit odd that she wasn't upset with Brittany, who also must have been late, Um, but maybe Brittany didn't get the memo on the timing. So she just lays into Jax and sends him home and says she does not want to see him. And of course, she puts her son Max behind the bar, where I think he spends half of his life. And then the craziest part of the party happens when Katie is there and Kevin Lee, who is, I think, a famous either interior decorator or designer. I'm not really sure who he is. I kind of think of him as like... Franz from Father the Bride, but Asian. (laughs) And he comes up to Katie and is like, what happened to you? You're so much bigger now. Like you got fat. You need to do something about that. That's not healthy. And just completely body shames her, which is a horrible thing to do. And then the kicker, he's like, I'm just telling you because I'm your friend. Dude, you are not friends. Like, you're not friends with Katie. We all know that. So don't use your excuse for being a dickhead as saying that you're friends. So Katie is very thrown off by this and talks to Lisa and is, you know, obviously upset. And Lisa, you know, consoles her and apologizes for for Kevin. But it opens up the backstory on Katie, which is that when she was 22, her and some friends were playing Monopoly and drinking wine on a skylight. And she fell through the glass of the skylight and then down some stairs and had a horrific injury and ended up in the ICU with her jaw wired shut and that's why she has a scar on her chin which I never really noticed much but she pointed it out and said that multiple plastic surgeons had offered you know to help her out and oh we can remove that and she said no this scar is part of who I am it reminds me what I went through and I'm proud of who I am and I love who I am and I love my body So kudos to Katie for standing up to Kevin Lee and not letting him tear her down. And the episode ends with Jax going back to see Kelsey, the Reiki instructor, and asks Kelsey to call him by his real name, Jason, as if maybe if he goes by his real name, he won't act like an asshole anymore. But he's pretty much hitting on Kelsey, and it looks like things might head not in the best direction with the Reiki, even though he's using it to better himself. So I don't know. I'm not buying it right now, but I kind of, I really, really hope he means what he says. So then we go into this week's episode, which is one of my favorite episodes because it is the annual Stasi versus Ariana birthday bash. So both girls have birthdays on the exact same day and are throwing parties. And of course, the 
Their friends have to figure out which party to go to. Some go to both. Stasi's party is a murder theme, and she's celebrating the death of her 20s because she's turning 29. And Ariana's party is a king's and queen's party. And they're both absolutely epic. So let's get into it. So for the Ariana party, they go to a costume costume shop where she opens up a bit more about her body issues and how she wears makeup all over her body because she's unhappy with it and uncomfortable. And she goes to see a therapist to talk about all these issues and brings up her past relationship where her boyfriend was emotionally and verbally abusive. He would say horrible things about her, and specifically about her vagina, which is weird and upsetting. And then it also kind of sounds like she was living with him and had no money, so she relied on him for a place to stay and for money. So that was a terrible situation that she didn't really open up as much about before this episode was great hearing her talk and although I doubt most therapists that would allow anything to be televised I did think that this therapist really asked the right questions and said you know our goal is to get you to think differently about yourself and you know try and ride the wave instead of drowning which I thought was a good way of putting it So then Ariana goes home to Tom Sandoval, her boyfriend, and they talk about her body issues and how she's been feeling about herself and not wanting to have sex with him. And he brings up how he just doesn't understand because in the beginning of their relationship, she was having multiple orgasms. (laughs) And then Ariana's like, um, I don't think so. Which was just heartbreaking to see on Tom's face. And she's like, I was just trying to impress you. And he he didn't want to believe it. But they had a great talk. And when their party happened later, he was so, so sweet. Basically, truly opening up to her, apologizing for being MIA some of the time where he was spending more time with friends or other people and not with her. And he said, I need you. You're my foundation. I need to make sure I'm there every night sleeping with you and giving you little cuddles and being a good boyfriend. You are my number one. So props to Tom Sandoval for being the only good spouse slash boyfriend slash partner on this show because everyone else seems to be cheating on each other, besides Ken Todd, of course. And I really, really appreciate how sweet Tom was. Now, my favorite scene of this episode is with Tom and Jax. So Jax comes over to Tom and Ariana's uh, before Ariana's birthday party, and Jax is wearing what he calls his prom suit, but really it looks like this embroidered white tablecloth that um, we have at my parents' house that we use for Shabbat dinners. And then he says he's going to stop at a Burger King on the way to the party so he can have his crown. And that's his costume. And Tom just shakes his head and is like, I, I can't do that, dude. Because Tom takes his costuming so seriously and he cannot be basic. So he's trying on all of these ridiculous 
outfits, this blue silk with these embroidered flowers. And Jack's comments, if it was a Liberace party, you'd definitely fit the bill. (laughs) So in the end, Tom puts on these contacts, these white, slit, scary Marilyn Manson contacts, and ends up wearing a like red and black, I don't even know what to call it, with the Maleficent kind of headpiece. And it reminded me of the outfit that Sarah Jessica Parker wore to the Met Gala in 2015. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look at my Twitter or Instagram because I posted a pic of who wore it better. And yeah, pretty, pretty epic. So then this is all juxtaposed to... Stassi's birthday party where things aren't going as well and people don't seem to be having as good of a time. So Stassi has a great outfit though. They all have this like murder makeup on and she says she's going for the look just got shot chic. So not that your body's starting to decompose but like when you just get shot. So she has what looks like a bullet hole in her forehead but she does look fantastic and her outfit is amazing so her boyfriend Patrick comes to this party but before that Patrick was on a trip to Amsterdam and they got in an argument where she was trying to like have phone sex with him or something and then when he didn't want to she's like fine I'm gonna find somebody else and then he got angry with her and she said she was kidding and then he blocked her he like wouldn't answer any calls or talk to her for weeks while he was in Europe which I think is cruel and weird and mean and why would he want to be in Amsterdam by himself anyhow that alone weirds me out So she's kind of walking on eggshells around him, which is just so not Stassi. I don't know what the hell she's doing with him. And then he walks in, not in costume. Like, who the hell is this guy? You're going to a murder party. Dress up like a fucking murderer. Your girlfriend wants you to. So Stassi is uncomfortable. And then... The icing on the cake is when Stassi and Katie run into the stripper that they had at Katie's bachelorette party, who's from New Orleans, and invite her to the party. So she goes to Stassi's birthday party, and Stassi thinks she's going to be a guest, but she ends up kind of doing body shots with people and behaving more like a stripper. And Stassi seems to be embarrassed in front of Patrick and basically runs away crying and does the whole, it's my fucking birthday. And Kristen, you know, is like, hey, I used to run after her. Like, I'm not going to run after her anymore. Now, the weirdest part of the night before this all goes down is when Patrick is talking directly to Kristen and Katie. And he says, she can bang other dudes. She just can't date other guys. And Katie's like, what? And Kristen comments very, very wisely that in every other relationship Stassi's been in, she's been the conductor. But with Patrick, she's second fiddle. And I tend to agree with this. I think that this is not the right match for her. But Patrick asks them, who else would you want her to date? Like, 
I win. I win. Dude, I can name so many other people I would want Stassi to date before you and your fucking man bun. Ugh, I have had it with this guy. So the next day rolls around, we find out that Stassi really did run away, mainly because she was on tequila and Adderall, a terrible combination, and left Katie with a $1,400 tab to pay. Not so fun. Now the episode ends with the Vanderpump Dog Day, where they're raising money for Vanderpump Dogs. There is like a doggy competition, like a beauty competition, and Monroe, Jackson, Brittany's dog, wins. But unfortunately, Jax didn't get to see it since he wasn't invited to Vanderpump Dog Day because Lisa is still upset at him for being late to serve at the party that she was hosting for her new magazine. So then they give a preview to the what's upcoming on the rest of the season. And again, it looks glorious. I just cannot get enough of this show. I would love to hear what you guys think. So please be sure to tweet me at ITRL underscore podcast and let me know what you thought of the episode, the last two episodes, and of Stassi's appearance on Watch What Happens Live and of Katie and Tom's appearance on Watch What Happens Live, which I was in the audience for. So now going to do a recap of the last two weeks of The Bachelor, which is definitely heating up, and then um, end with Summer House. So last week's Bachelor, we finally get to see Lauren B., who is a very pretty blonde who's kind of shy and doesn't talk that much. And until last week, we weren't quite sure why she was around. But she got a one-on-one with Ari. And while the first part of the date was really kind of silent and awkward, she opened up a lot more at in the evening, and he seemed to be really into her. And I mean really into her. Now, I can't quite figure out why. It's probably because she's not like very into him or appearing to be very into him. She's pretty guarded and closed off. So it might be that classic, you know, hard to get thing. But she opens up a bit about her trust issues, says that while her parents have been married for over 30 years, that it hasn't been a very easy marriage and it's warped her views of men, which makes me wonder, has her dad cheated on her mom? Like what exactly is going on there? I'm sure we'll find out. And Ari opens up about something I hadn't heard him talk about until last episode, which is that his most serious relationship that he was in, he was for over two years with a woman who had two children, and she became pregnant with his kid. And he thought, wow, maybe this means it's meant to be, which I'm sorry, an accidental pregnancy does not necessarily mean you're meant to be with that person, but whatever. So he is still with her, but it is racing season. And while he says he tried to be home more, he still was on the road a lot. And one of the times that he was on the road, she called him and said, you know, I lost the baby. And when you come back, I won't be here. 
And he thought she was being dramatic and, you know, that wasn't true. But he came home and she wasn't there anymore and he's never seen her since. So he said that's where his trust issues come from. And Lauren felt, you know, really sad for him about this and says that her last relationship, she was actually engaged. But once they got engaged, her fiancé treated her poorly. And so she broke things off. So... Good for you, Lauren, for standing up for what you know that you deserve. Now, it's just a bit odd to see this because we're how many weeks in and we just don't know who this girl is. And all of a sudden, he just seems so into her. So he gives her the rose. Then um, is the group date, which is so fun to watch because it's um, in the Moulin Rouge. So they're in Paris for the week. And the actual Moulin Rouge, if you haven't been to it, is just beautiful. It is in such a cute neighborhood of Paris. The costumes are amazing. The music is amazing. And these women are having so much fun getting dressed up, especially Becca M., who he gives the rose to, and she gets to join him um, on that date on stage and dance while all of the other women watch from the audience and are jealous. So Chelsea seems to get a bit insecure about this because she's 29 and a single mother, and he's like, well, what's Ari doing if he's interested in Babysitter's Club Becca, who's 22? Like, how could he like her and like me? Maybe he's not looking for the thing that I think he's looking for. To which I want to say, Chelsea, he's not really looking for the thing that you think he's looking for. (laughs) I have so many doubts about Ari. Just based on how he's behaved thus far, he makes out with everyone. And it's not just this joke of a kissing bandit. Like, he makes out with people with passion. They, They must think that he's in love with them and that he doesn't kiss anyone else like that. But then, two minutes later, he's making out passionately with some other girl who he's not that into. So it's like, how do you know if he really likes someone or doesn't? It seems a bit worrisome to me. So then is the most dramatic part of last week's episode, which is the two-on-one between Kendall and Crystal. So they go to a French chateau. And, um, you know, Ari's unsure about Crystal after she freaked out at him about the bowling incident. And they have a chat. And she tries to explain herself, but ends up apologizing. And then she says, you know, she's not quite sure about Kendall the other girl on the date because Kendall's never really been in love and isn't sure if Kendall is emotionally ready to get married which like the number one rule on this show if you want to actually end up with a person is not to waste your time talking about other people on the show just focus on your relationship So then Ari goes to talk to Kendall and tells Kendall, hey, you know, this is what Crystal said. And Kendall handled herself with such grace, poise, and dignity that I did not expect from a taxidermy enthusiast. But this girl I like a lot. She's definitely my favorite. So... She says, you know, I don't believe there's actually a time when you're really ready to fall in love and get married. It's it's about meeting someone that brings that out in you. 
And like, how eloquent. Yes, it is about meeting the person that brings it out on you. Like, you could be 22 and maybe not think you're ready for marriage, but if you meet the right person, you know that that's the right person. So then there's this confrontation between Kendall and Crystal where Kendall says, hey, Crystal, like, I know you talked to Ari about me. And like, she psychoanalyzes Crystal in a way that I didn't think was possible. And she hits the nail on the head with so many different situations. So she starts by saying, you know, I know that when it comes to situations, when you're cornered, you say mean things because it makes you feel better. And, you know, I dated someone like you. And in the face of conflict, they told me things that really hurt me. But I learned that saying what's most hurtful doesn't necessarily mean mean that you win. You just hurt somebody. And Crystal's face is blank. And then Kendall continues, you know, I can definitely empathize with you. You've been through a lot. You have a lot of pain. But it seems very controlled. And you shouldn't try to control it. Like the most beautiful moments in life are when, you know, you act like a fool and let yourself go and you're not perfect and that's okay and like nobody's perfect. And Crystal's offended by all of this because she thinks that Kendall is being patronizing. No, Kendall's just psychoanalyzing you and now you don't have to pay for thousands of dollars in therapy. You can just start working on yourself because you know why you are the way that you are now. Anyways, so... Ari says he needs more time to figure out who to give the robes to. So the date continues into the evening, but he eventually gives the rose to Kendall. And Crystal is left wondering why she opened her heart to Ari. Then the one-on-one with Jacqueline. So Jacqueline is by far the smartest woman on this show. She is a research coordinator at an elite hospital in New York City and is ready to go on to get her PhD, which will take six years. So she tells Ari this, and he doesn't seem that into it. Um, not that he doesn't think she should get a PhD, just that he maybe doesn't want to date or be married to someone that's working towards their PhD, because then he would actually have to be a real partner to someone and support them. And he seems like he just wants someone to follow him to Scottsdale and just basically fit right into his life, and he doesn't have to give up anything, which really, really pisses me off. And he talks about at first how he thought maybe he wasn't smart enough to date Jacqueline, but like... You're not smart enough to date Jacqueline because you're not kind enough and open enough to date a woman with intellect. It has nothing to do with you being smart. It's you being open to the experience of dating someone and having a real partner where you have to sacrifice for them the way that they sacrifice for you. Now, this whole thing really made me upset because it shows that women with ambition for some reason, can't make it on this show. And then maybe people think, oh, maybe they can't make it in life or they won't be able to have a career and have a man. And that's just not true. And a true partner who really, really loves you will sacrifice for your education just like you will for theirs. And a PhD is no joke. And she lives in New York City. Can you imagine if she continued and got her PhD in New York City? He could spend six years in Manhattan instead of fucking Scottsdale. What the hell is he thinking? 
Anyways, he ends up giving Jacqueline the rose, which surprises her, him, and everyone. So at the rose ceremony, he ends up sending home um, Chelsea, the mother, single mother, and Jenna, who is very fun and enthusiastic, but I don't think he ever took seriously. So throughout the episode, we've got Crystal gone, Chelsea gone, and Jenna gone. Um, leaving just the six women who are left, which takes us to this week's episode where they are in Tuscany, a region of Italy that is absolutely gorgeous. So in this week's episode, um, there's not any rose ceremony. There are just dates, and he gives out the roses on the dates. And if you get a rose, you continue to hometowns, which are next week. So it starts with a one-on-one with Becca Kay, who is from Minneapolis, my hometown, and she got the first one-on-one and hasn't had a one-on-one since. So she's really, really been been waiting for this. They stroll around an Italian town. They get some bread. They have a picnic. She's wearing the cutest off-the-shoulder flowy white dress that I adore. And they reconnect and they make out against a wall under the Tuscan sun, and he gives her a rose. After this date, Jacqueline, um, the one who still needs to go for her PhD, she um, kind of starts to get anxious and says she's unable to really trust how she feels. But my guess is after their date, she had a feeling in her gut that was like, this guy's not the right guy for me. But it's hard when you're living with all these other women who are obsessed with the same guy and you like that guy too and all the producers are telling you that you're in love and how wonderful this process is and how amazing the journey is. But she's probably thinking like, I am not going to give up my dreams and my career and getting a PhD for some stupid race car driver that will likely break up with whoever he chooses within a few months and yeah. So she um, goes to see him and starts by just taking a big gulp of his wine, which is really funny, and tells him, you know, she's not as confident in the relationship as some of the other women are, and maybe she should just leave. And then she does. So he says he felt blindsided by it. But, um, you know, good for you, Jacqueline. I can't wait to see you on Women Tell All. And I hope that Chris Harrison discusses the issue of men supporting women's careers. So then Lauren B. gets another one-on-one. So she had a one-on-one last week, and now she's having a one-on-one this week. It's a little weird that she's getting another one-on-one. So they do the Bachelor Run and Jump, which I've only seen on this show, where the woman runs on full speed towards the guy, jumps on him, wraps her legs around his waist while he twirls her in a circle. I've never seen this in real life. Nobody does this. I don't know why this is on the show. Anyways, so um, she tells Ari that he would be the first guy that she would take to her family since her ex-fiance, and he still isn't sure if Lauren likes him. But Lauren does open up and say, you know, that she's starting to fall in love with him. And he 
like gets up and goes for a walk, leaving her hanging. And she's wondering, like, did I say too much? It's been taking me so long to muster up the courage to open up and have feelings. And when he finally sits down, he says, you know, he hasn't felt anything like that in a long time. And it hit him like really hard. And that he tells Lauren that he's falling deeply in love with her. So he dropped the album. Now, this is before Hometowns. And the person who's the bachelor or bachelorette is not supposed to tell any of the contestants that they love them until the proposal. So he's totally breaking a rule and he's breaking it very early, which is probably why he needed to take a quick little walk before that. Then there's a one-on-one with Cien, who is another gorgeous beauty with brains. Um, They go on what seems like one of the most fun dates thus far. They go in search of truffles. They go with this Italian man and his dogs and search for truffles, take them and make this amazing pasta and pizza meal with an entire Italian family while they talk in between Italian and English about the meaning of love. And it is such a fun date, but you know, Ari seems a bit shut off and seems that he's like really in a good place with Becca and Lauren, probably isn't quite there with Cien. And so he tells her that and he sends her home. Now we go to the three-on-one, which is Babysitter's Club Becca, who's 22, Tia, who's uh, a clone of Raven from last season, a sweet Southern Belle from Arkansas, And Kendall, my favorite, the taxidermy girl. So they go to an estate in Italy, and it's gorgeous, and they're walking around, but they each take turns talking to him. And so it's the last group date of the entire season. After this, it's just one-on-ones and and then a proposal. So Kendall says that she's open to moving to be with Ari, and they have a great conversation and seem like they're in a really good place. Then... um, Becca M and Tia, while Kendall's talking to Ari, have a little chat and Becca M, you know, shares some doubts that she has with Tia about, you know, how she misses home and, you know, I'm sure people have doubts throughout this process. I mean, you're sequestered. You don't know anything that's going on in the outside world and you're only with people who you met just a few weeks ago. You can't talk to any of your friends or family or be on your phone or just, yeah, I would go effing crazy. So of course she has doubts. So Tia takes this to mean that Becca's not serious about getting married. So when Tia has her one-on-one time with Ari, she tells Ari, you know, I like Becca, but I think she's, it's not just that she's young. I don't think she's emotionally ready to get married. Which is like, again, you're breaking the rule. Don't talk about somebody else during your one-on-one time. So then, but then she talks a bit more about herself and her family and how she's excited for Ari to meet her family next week, blah, blah, blah. Then um, she goes back and actually tells Becca to her face, you know, I told Ari that I didn't think you were ready for marriage. Of course this upsets Becca. So Becca's crying and, you know, she says that she just doesn't like to, you know, when she's not seen for who she really is. And Ari comes up to her and comforts her and, you know, says, you know, like, I do have some real questions. You know, 
Like, your family was skeptical about this process. Like, are they going to welcome me? What are they going to think about our 14-year age gap? And, you know, Becca says, I think my family will embrace you. They were just skeptical about this process. How could you meet someone in just a few weeks and then get married? I mean, I wanted the same thing, so... Um, at the end of the day part of the date, he says he's only sure about Kendall and gives her a rose, leaving the other two for a two-on-one. So they have an evening portion of the date where, you know, Tia talks to Ari, says her love grows every time she sees him. She's so, so sure. Then Becca, you know, tells Ari that she thinks she's falling for him and she wants him to take a chance on her and to have faith in her. Um, But at the end of the day, he gives his rose to Tia and sends Babysitter's Club Becca home in a minivan. I mean, they couldn't even get a limo for her or like an Escalade. Oh, it was tragic, tragic. And she was so classy because she said... You know, this is going to end really well for you. I know it. I'm glad she has faith in Ari because I certainly don't. And, you know, Ari said he really liked her but didn't see their lives fitting together. So that concludes The Bachelor for the last two weeks. Looks like uh, it's going to be quite crazy with the hometown visits and that there are a few parents, especially dads, that are not charmed by Ari. And I am here for it. Guys, it's time to talk about Summer House. I love this show. I don't know why more people don't watch it. So please... Please, after Vanderpump Rules at 10 p.m., stay tuned and watch Summer House. I think it's getting more popular because yesterday it was trending on Twitter in D.C. In D.C. When reality shows trend in D.C., one of the nerdiest cities in the entire country, I am like so thrilled and my heart warms because it means people are taking time away from reading the news and watching the stupid things Donald Trump says and actually enjoying their lives by living it through watching somebody else's. (laughs) So the Summer House uh, episode last week is so crazy. So it starts with the July 4th weekend, which is always such a crazy, crazy time. So Lauren throws a cake in Carl's face during the last episode, and Lindsay tries to talk to Carl about her ex-boyfriend, Everett. Lord knows why. And Lauren doesn't want anyone talking to Carl and interrupts their conversation and she's really drunk and then her and um, Lindsay get into a fight. So, um, and then the night ends with despite Lauren throwing a cake in Carl's face and them claiming that they just want to be friends, she ends up in his bed. So annoying. 
So then the next day, they go to a on a boat ride into a bonfire, and it seems nice for a little bit, but then Lindsay and Lauren decide to rehash everything that happened the night before, and they continue to argue and argue and argue to the point that no one else can enjoy the bonfire or the sunset, and everyone's in a terrible mood. So the next night out... Kyle gets really, really drunk and he isn't paying attention to Amanda, his girlfriend who lives in the house with him. And as we learned on the uh, second episode of the season, Kyle and Amanda have a very weird relationship. They have a weekend relationship where during the week, he's so busy being an entrepreneur, he doesn't have time for his girlfriend. But then on the weekend is when they hang out. But in the summer... They're in this shared house together, which isn't the best for a relationship. You don't have a lot of one-on-one time or really any nice romantic dates. So I think we all know where this is heading, and it's not pretty. So um, then Amanda, Kyle, Lindsay, um, yeah, just the three of them confront Carl over hooking up with Lauren again and say, you know, like, this isn't going to end well. And he's like, no, it'll be fine. And they're like, what do you want? He's like, we're just friends. Yeah, he says it won't end badly, but we shall see. So then the episode ends with Danielle, the new roommate, organizing an outing to one of the Native American reservations out near um, uh, near the Hamptons, I guess, where they go clamming and then they have a fire and then eat the clams and the lobster and do this whole kumbaya thing. And everyone does seem to really get along by the end of the episode, even Lauren and Danielle, who seem to be at odds um, because they both dated Carl and Lauren is weird about everything related to Carl. So then this episode, uh, this week starts with Amanda being annoyed at Kyle for always being drunk, and she decides that for the weekend, she is going to spend it with her friends instead and give them some space. Um, Danielle seems to be a little weirded out that Lauren and Carl are hooking up again, but whatever. Um, Danielle and Steven seem to be getting closer. Now, Steven McGee is the best character on Summer Summer House. I don't think I would watch this show if he was not on it. He is just the comedic relief. He is the... um, you know, person narrating, like he narrates better than Lauren Conrad could ever do. Shout out to the Hills. So then it shows Lauren FaceTiming with her twin sister, Ashley, who lives with her husband in San Diego. And Lauren's been avoiding Ashley's calls because she's gotten sort of back together-ish with Carl and doesn't want to admit it to her twin sister. So she sort of admits it on the phone. Ashley is not happy. Ashley's coming to visit in the next week's episode, and I think she lays it down, and I cannot wait. So 
Um, then the cutest part of the episode, Amit, um, his sister Noah comes and they have a Shabbat dinner for everyone and talk about how they lost their mom when they were both teenagers, but even when their mom was sick, she always made sure there was Shabbat dinner at the house and talked about how it's all about friends and family and enjoying love and food and everyone seems to get along. And then they go to this animal party. So at the animal themed party, Lindsay ends up meeting someone and staying out. But then when she comes home the next day, she misses her ex-boyfriend Everett and calls him. And they talk on the phone and both admit that they miss each other. But the conversation is so much like their relationship. They're little like glimmers of hope. He kind of is like He's breadcrumbing. He's like leaving her crumbs, but he's not taking away like everything. Like he's not ghosting. So he's saying things like, I really miss talking to you. It's so hard. Like the space that we're giving each other. And then at the very next second, he'll be completely not paying attention to her and talking to someone else while he's still on the phone with her. So yeah. But it's very similar to what Carl is doing to Lauren, where he's leaving her crumbs, but definitely not giving her the whole loaf of bread. So they have a pool party the next day, and Carl pulls Danielle aside because Lauren decides that Danielle is treating her weirdly, and she thinks Danielle is judging her for her and Carl's whatever they are. And says, you know, stay out of mine and Lauren's business. And he thinks that Danielle is still in love with him. Now, Carl has a case of the plastics. Just like in Mean Girls. You think everybody's in love with you, but in reality, everybody hates you. That's what Carl is. So, on the ride home is one of my favorite scenes in a long time. Where... uh, Carl and Lauren tell Kyle that Danielle still has feelings for Carl. And Kyle responds, I mean, I've never once gotten the vibe that Danielle still has feelings for Carl. (laughs) And then it gets better. So um, he's like, you know, it's not like you dated Carl, you know, Lauren, or that like Danielle dated Carl. And Lauren interrupts him. You know, I did date Carl. (laughs) And Kyle says, And I quote, I love you. I'm on your side. Just so you know, Carl never said, I'm dating Lauren. And then there was an awkward silence, followed by Carl saying, can we just, you know, be silent for a little while? End scene. Wow. I cannot wait for next week. When Ashley, Lauren's sister, comes and lays it down and yells at Carl and yells at her sister and just calls out all the bullshit. Girls, girls out there, I know, I know it's easy to watch and say you would never do anything like that, but like, I would never do anything like that. That is ridiculous. She's almost 30 years old and she's behaving absolutely like she's what 20 and going after a guy that's not into her or he's just leaving her breadcrumbs come on you deserve better you know you deserve better I can't tell if she's doing it just for the show so that there is a storyline but I think she's really really into him and has no self-control 
that's where we're at. So thank you guys so much for joining this week. Sorry about last week being sick and not having an episode, but have some very exciting things coming up, including a recap of Bachelor Winter Games um, with some of my international friends going to be in Italy soon and going to be doing an episode with friends from Canada, France, and Italy. So excited for that and hope you all have a great week. you the pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film powder donut <clears throat> okay what's my line uh the only line i see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from progressive oh man that's a tongue twister huh i'm sorry i'm gonna need a few more minutes <clears throat> bulbous walrus the bulbous walrus the name your price tool only from progressive the owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law